God, we pray for that vision. We pray, oh God, that our eyes might see things we've never seen before. Lord, that our hearts would be captivated with your unfailing love. Lord, there are so many things in this world that are trying to captivate us. So many things vying for our attention, for our affections, for our imaginations, for our ambitions. But God, we pray that during these days, your love would consume us. The beauty of the Lord would preoccupy us. Lord, that everything else around us would just grow strangely dim in the light of the glory that shines through the face of Jesus Christ. Oh God, open our eyes to see wonders anew. Even today, Lord, as we touch on your word, we realize this is a living word. It's a powerful word. And it's a word that we need to minister to each and every one of us. As you only know how to do, oh God, we now yield and surrender and give ourselves fully over to the Holy Spirit. Have your way with us. Have your way with the children. Minister life to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we do pray. And God's children loudly proclaimed, Amen! Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you, banner wavers. I want you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. This time of fasting and prayer has been very different from our previous two years. And how many of you know God is a God of variety? He likes to do different things. He didn't make just one flower, one bird, one insect. He made such a wild diversity of things in his natural creation. I just, I can't believe he's going to be any different in the way he works in our spiritual life. And this time from the very beginning... I have been sensing the Lord emphasizing more of an outward-reaching spirit that he's trying to put into us. Even as we're coming together here every night to pray, we've been hearing this over and over and in so many ways. God's getting us ready to go out because he has missions for us to accomplish. And it's amazing... I was thinking, you know, some of the things that God was showing me, we would be implementing at the end of the fast, but he's already surprised us, and he's doing it during the fast. (laughs) And one of the things that's become more and more clear to me is God wants us to go out with the good news of the gospel, because there are hurting, broken, dying people all around us, and they're not going to come to church. I agree, and I've even preached this message here, that the church is a hospital, but I believe God is calling us now to be a hospital on wheels. (laughs) To be a mobile hospital. To go out to those that are not going to come in here. And to be able to somehow touch somebody who otherwise might not have made it. And amazingly just in the last two weeks pastor quasi and i have had the privilege of ministering in more than several different situations where to be very honest with you it was a hopeless situation just hopeless and all we did was speak the word of god and pray a simple prayer or two and voila 
their lives were completely changed. And he referred to what happened at our house yesterday morning in the prayer meeting. I mean, it was just awesome. It wasn't anything planned. And what I shared last night here, we often speak theory up here. You know, we read scriptures, and here's how the church is supposed to be. Here's what's supposed to be happening in the church. But it's all theoretical. And as a minister of 38 years, to be very honest with you, a lot of times that's as far as it gets, theory. But it's so wonderful when you see it starting to work, and you actually see people putting it into practice and living it, and it starts to take shape and form. Well, we saw that so clearly yesterday morning. You've heard us teach here many times that the church is a body. It's a living body. It's not an organization. It's an organism. Just as your body is one unit with many members, hands, fingers, feet, kidney, heart, and all the different parts, so the body of Christ has all these different interconnected and related members and it only functions when it's a unit i mean you don't see a hand going around setting up the church you don't see a foot walking down the highway you see a whole body and very often we're trying to operate as a disjointed hand or a finger or a kidney or a heart and we're wondering why we're not getting anywhere God is going to use a whole body to perform his works and his ministry. And what we saw yesterday was just absolutely astounding. We had started our prayer meeting. I guess there was, what, about 10 of us, 12? I don't know. I didn't even count them. And all of a sudden, a visitor arrived at the prayer meeting. She had never been to the church before, didn't know anybody. I think maybe she knew Quasi, but didn't know anyone else there. And she came in and started pouring out all of her woes and all of her problems. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to be facetious. This woman had real severe pain and hurt in her life. Abuse, injustice, all kinds of stuff that had happened to her. And it just, it was almost like it had been choreographed, but it hadn't. It just went around the room. Different ones had a part of the whole message to share with her and it was just amazing how each one operating in their particular gift or grace was able to touch this woman's life and by the end of the meeting how many of you were there yesterday morning by the end of the meeting and please correct me if i'm wrong was her face and talk and whole life completely transformed She was a totally different woman when she left my home. And she was so touched, this has never happened before, she asked me twice, can you all have this next Saturday morning prayer meeting in my house? She wants it to go to her house now, and I'm like, oh Lord, you're too much. This is exactly what God has been speaking to me about, is going out into houses, homes that are open to the gospel go there and preach the gospel we were visiting princess this week we didn't tell her she asked us can you all come to my home sometime soon i can invite 20 people and we'll 
preach the gospel to them. This is the Holy Spirit, friends. The Holy Spirit is stirring up people to open their hearts and their homes so that we can take the gospel into the community. And I'm excited. I really am excited. Now, Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. Read it with me nice and loud. It's up on the screen. This, is, this of course, is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Very well-known passage. I'm sure others have expounded on it far better than I will be able to this morning, but I just want to point out a few things in this short little passage. I see three types of people or three groups that Jesus is specifically calling here. If you go back to 28, you'll see two of them very clearly. Who does he call? The weary and the burdened. Now I know none of us have ever been in that category. So it must be that Jesus didn't call any of us. But just for the sake of my sermon, play along with me for a minute here. If you were weary or if you were burdened, this is exactly what you needed to hear. Jesus is singling you out of the crowd. If you are weary, if you are burdened, I've got a prescription for you. Come to me. Now there's a third group that's implied in the rest of this passage. That would be those with no rest or the restless. So we have the weary, we have the burdened, and we have the restless. Hmm. You know, a lot of the people I'm meeting in my travels fit one of those three categories. A lot of weary people. People that are just tired out, burned out on life. They're tired of their troubles, tired of their problems, tired of their situation they're just weary 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 and you know what even a lot of church people are weary they're tired because they've tried it and it doesn't seem to be working or they're they're trying to somehow please god in their own strength and they're always coming up short and they're getting tired they're getting weary and i meet a lot of people that are under heavy loads heavy burdens my god this lady that came to our house yesterday, you talk about burdens. Man, she had a truckload on her shoulders when she came into my house. And she left flying like a little canary, just smiling, laughing, joking around with everybody. I, I don't have the statistics handy this morning, but I've heard recently unprecedented numbers of people in America have to take sleep aids to be able to even get a decent night's sleep. People can't sleep. They're restless. They have no peace. 
They have no real rest in their life. Even if they do lay their head on the pillow, when they're getting up in the morning, they're still tired, they're still weary, and they're still burdened. Jesus is offering to all these folks, the weary, the burdened, and the restless, a precious commodity, rest. And he clarifies it in the following two verses. This is rest for the soul. You can't buy that. You can't pretend you have it. You can't somehow work it up. You either have it or you don't. And there's only one way to have it, and that's when God gives it to you. The peace of God. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what you lack. I will give you what you most need, which is rest. Now, we're going to come back to this, but I want you to go back a couple of chapters to Matthew 9. And this is just going to sort of complement what we've already mentioned here as far as the, the condition that many, many people in the world find themselves in now. They're stressed out, burned out, weary, burdened, and we can add a couple more words to that list after we read this next passage. Matthew 9, beginning at verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because... Now stop. That word because is very critical here. There's a cause for his compassion. He's not just compassionate for no reason. When Jesus saw people, he was moved to compassion because they were what? Harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I've never kept sheep. I've seen them, I've read about shepherds, I've watched videos about shepherding, I know a little bit about it. One thing I do know, and you know, God calls all of us sheep. How many sheep do we have here today? Okay, everybody's a sheep? Good. I didn't hear any. (laughs) Now, don't throw any stones at me, because I'm including myself, I'm also a sheep. Sheep are dumb. They may be highly educated, but they're still dumb in one sense. They cannot direct their own path. They need a shepherd. They're so dumb, they will walk off cliffs. They will walk into a briar patch and get so stuck they can't get out and they'll starve to death. One of my favorite things about sheep, if you go online, you can look this up, is the cast sheep. Anybody ever heard about a cast sheep? Sheep are so dumb They'll eat and eat, and they'll get so fat, they'll lay down, and if they roll over on their back, they can't get back up, and they'll die. It's it's no joke. They will die with their four legs sticking up in the air. And they have to have a shepherd come and pick them up and put put them back on their four feet, or they will die. They're just helpless. And Jesus, when he looked at the crowds, he didn't say, man, these people get on my nerves. Drug addicts prostitutes, 
thieves. These people really bug me. No, he was moved with compassion because he saw something that you and I often don't see. He saw what was really happening to humanity. They were being harassed. Now, can somebody help me here? Who do you think might be responsible for the harassing? Is there not one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy? He's a liar. He's an accuser. He's one who brings condemnation and guilt and sickness and bondage and all those other things. They were harassed. And they couldn't do anything about their own condition because they were helpless, just like a sheep without a shepherd. That's how Jesus saw people. And... In these days, we need to be praying that God would give us that same vision that we can see people the way he sees them. You know, it's so easy to be judgmental. So easy to be critical. Because I've never walked in your shoes. I don't really know what you're going through. So it's easy for me to be on my high horse and say, what's wrong with her? How come she's acting like that? Huh, haven't been there and done that yet. Look at the next verse. Then he said to his disciples, the disciples are right there. They're hearing this this whole thing. The harvest is plentiful. Now hold hold on a minute. Are we talking about going out and and looking for some wheat somewhere? Or what, what are we harvesting here? People. People. He's referring to those people in the previous verse. The harassed, helpless people who do not yet have a shepherd. The harvest is plentiful. There are plenty of people like that, Jesus is saying. But you know what? I don't have many to send to them. Harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And maybe you're here saying, That's just for the pastors. That's just for the full-time ministers. I'm off the hook. I want to warn you, I'm going to burst that bubble. We are called to the harvest. We, all of us, are called to be his workers. And it apparently seems that there's always a shortage of this kind of worker. The harvest is plentiful... In another place, Jesus said, look out at the fields. They're white for harvest. In other words, they're ready for somebody to go in. But no workers. Next verse. Ask, or other translations say pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Therefore, send out Desiree. Lord, I'm really going to pray for the rest of this fast. Send Laureen. Or do I need to include myself? Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. To send where? Out. We keep hearing that word. Go. Out. Launch out. Go. Send out workers into the harvest field. Oh, may God give us eyes of compassion. May God help us to see beyond the obvious 
and to see what Jesus saw, people's hurt, people's harassment, people's burdens, people's weariness, so that we can also go down there and say, come to Jesus, all you who are weary, all you who are burdened, all you who are burned out on life, come to Jesus. He has the answer for you. Now, I want to pick up a little bit more on this phrase, come to me. Come to me. He didn't say come to church. Now, I'm glad you're here today. And I hope you'll bring a couple of friends with you next Sunday. We want to fill this place. Right? Why do we want to fill it? Because I want everybody to hear the good news. I want everybody to hear this good news. The more people you can bring in here, the more we can tell them about it. But he doesn't say, come to church or come and join my new religion. What does he say? Come to me. Big difference. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by a set of rules, a new set of regulations, a new ceremony. No, except through me. I am the bread of life. I am resurrection and life. I am the good shepherd. This is all about coming to a person. It's a personal relationship. We use that phrase so often that it becomes a cliche, but we need to analyze it often. I'm coming to Jesus, not just to some religion or some form or some club that meets on Sunday at the church in Bethesda. And, you know, we all use this terminology, and I'm not going to try to make you stop it, but, you know, I'm going to church today. But really, I'm going to Jesus. I'm seeking Jesus. I need to come to Jesus while I'm down here in this basement. I need to come to Jesus here. And when we meet tomorrow night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night and Thursday night, we need to come here with the intent of finding Jesus so I can get closer to Him. Now, turn back to Matthew eleven twenty-eight for just a moment. And then I want to jump to a few other places where Jesus uses this expression, come to me, come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Don't just join a religion. Don't just adopt a new set of beliefs or standards or whatever come to the person of Jesus Christ now here's a very fascinating twist on this John chapter 5 and let's read verses 39 and 40 and in the context Jesus is talking to the ultra religious people these were people that studied the scriptures they knew all about God they were expert theologians now I got to be careful here because I like to consider myself a theologian but let me qualify what that means a theologian is technically someone that studies God I love to study God 
But I don't want to just study about him. I want to know him. And one theologian has given this definition of what a theologian is. I kind of like it. He says, theologians are always answering questions that no one's asking. (laughs) We get into these long, detailed discussions about the sovereignty of God and predestination and free will. A A lot of these things people don't even care about, but theologians like to talk about them. But hear carefully what Jesus is saying to these experts, theologians, professors of the scriptures. He says, you diligently study the scriptures. That's good. You're good Bible students. You study the scriptures, and here's where their error was. Because you think that by them you possess eternal life. Whoa. You mean... If I read the Bible, I don't automatically get eternal life? Nope. You mean if I can memorize Genesis to Revelation and parrot it off, that doesn't guarantee me salvation? Nope. I've actually talked with theologians that knew the Bible inside and out ten times better than I know it, and yet they weren't saved. Didn't have the Lord in their lives. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by all that knowledge up here in your head about the Bible, you possess eternal life. True, they are the scriptures that testify about me. Genesis to Revelation is talking about Jesus Christ. Exodus talks about Jesus. He's the Passover lamb. All throughout the scriptures, it's speaking about Jesus. But here's the problem. Yet, you refuse to come to me to have life. Studying, 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 memorizing, quoting, preaching, knowing, and yet missing one important thing, not coming to Jesus. You see... To come to Jesus, you've got to be willing to leave everything else. You can't come and still be clinging on to your pride and your religion and all your ambitions and your own will and say, okay, Jesus, I'm coming to you, but I'm still going to do it my way. Hello? Because he gets into that a little further along in our first scripture in Matthew 11. Let's go back there quickly. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is the part we need to examine. Take my yoke upon you. Now, the word yoke is used in two specific ways in the scriptures. It can either refer to a yoke of slavery or... More literally, it was that harness that connected two oxen together when they were plowing. There, there was a, I wish I had a picture, I meant to bring one, but it, it's basically a harness that goes around both of the necks of the oxen so one can't go to the right and the other one go to the left. They have to stay together. They're yoked together. And of course, it's a metaphor used in the Bible even for marriage. Shouting, you need to listen to this. 
we're going to be putting a big yoke around your neck in two weeks, but it's also going around Tatu's neck, and it's going to bind you together for life, and there ain't no breaking it. Got it? Okay. But who are we going to be yoked to here, an ox? Who are we yoked to? Jesus. Uh Uh-oh. You mean wherever he goes, I go? Uh Uh-huh. We sing that song, right? Where you go, I'll go. So if he says, go right, I said, no. I've never gone right. I always go left. You know, my wife and I are very happy, and I'm sure Sister Desiree is even more happy. We're very happy to announce that we are now a petless home. For years, we had to deal with cats and cat hair and cat litter, and Sister Desiree would jump up on the chair when one of the cats would jump out of the you know, woodwork, and one of them, she can thank her own daughter for bringing to our house. Crazy little black cat. But we're, we're done with them now. No more pets. But my daughter still brings... Now she has three cats. All of them went to her house. Little apartment. She has three cats and a dog. And her friend has a dog too, so they often bring both of the dogs over to our house for a visit which I'm okay with the visit because I have hope. Are you with me? I have hope when they leave. The doggies leave. Bye-bye. See you next week. And sometimes while they're there, oh, my God. One week I tried to take both of them for a walk at the same time. I'll never do that again. It's just pure insanity. But... The older dog I've taken for a walk a number of times now, and I'm amazed at how smart dogs are. The first time I took this dog on a walk, I go for about three miles, and there's a lot of twists and turns, and it goes all around the place. And the second time I took the dog, I tested her to see if she knew where to turn right, where to turn left, and where to go straight. And, you know, without any hesitation, as soon as we got to a junction, she just turned right. Amazing. It's like she has built-in GPS. But I fooled her. After a couple of walks, I added another leg to the journey, which involved turning left where we had normally turned right. And so when we came to that juncture, she just naturally, you know, starts heading down to the right and I'm like no 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 we're going this way and she just put up a big fight with me and it was like I had to drag her for about 10 or 20 yards before she finally yielded and said okay I know that's the right way but if you insist I gotta go with you sometimes we're like that with the Lord if we're yoked to him he's saying this is the way walk in it and I'm like no We've never done it that way before. Well, we are now. Things are changing. The winds are changing. The direction for your life is changing. Please don't get into a rut where you think, just because I've always done X, Y, or Z, it's always got to be that way. God likes change. God is in the business sometimes of repositioning us, redirecting us, rebooting us. Take my yoke 
upon you and then learn from me. For I am meek, or I am gentle, I am humble in heart. And remember, we're looking for rest. We're weary. We're burdened. We're burned out with all these other yokes that have been around our neck. You know, the Bible does talk about the yoke of bondage. That's not a good yoke. That's, that's like addictions. They're like a yoke around our neck. Alcoholism, drug addiction. We can't get free from it. And it's just, oh, it's like a noose around us. And you can't get free in your own strength. The Bible talks about a yoke of slavery. That's not good. Unless you're a slave of love to Jesus. Because when you're yoked to him and you begin to submit to him, you begin to surrender your will and your plans to him, something so sweet begins to come into your life. It's called rest. And you know, we were praying here one night this week, and the Lord opened my eyes to something new in this passage. You know why many people are weary? They're tired because they've been fighting with God. Remember Jacob in the Old Testament? He wrestled with God all night. And actually, the Bible seems to indicate that he won. But he didn't really win. He won by losing because the, the Bible says that the Lord had to pull his hip out of the socket. <laughs> and he went around on a, on a staff limping the rest of his life. So sometimes we can be wrestling with God. And for what it's worth, I'll give you some free advice. I've been a Christian for a little over 38 years now, and trust me, I've had my seasons of wrestling with God, fighting with God, arguing with God, saying, no God, I know a better way than your way, and I am a living witness that in 38 plus years, God has never yet lost. (laughs) He always, always wins. And he'll... You know, like if you go fishing, sometimes you get a fish on the line, you kind of cut him some extra slack, give him a little more line to run with it. It's only to hook him and to bring him in. I have found sometimes God will give me some line. He'll say, oh, Wayne, you want to try it your way? Here, okay. Let's see how it works. I'll check with you in a year or two, see how your own plans are panning out. And after a year or two, the Holy Spirit will come and say, how's that working out for you, Wayne? Working out real good, huh? No, Lord, help me, deliver me, get this yoke off my neck. Oh, you didn't want my yoke. I offered you my yoke, but you've taken some other yoke on your life. True rest will only come this way. There's no other magical formula. True rest only comes by surrendering your will and if you want to imagine yourself as an, as an ox yoked to Jesus, then do it. But that's what he's talking about. Where he goes, I go. What he wants from me, I want from me. It's hard for us sometimes. But as we grow and mature, and this, this involves chastening, it involves the Lord breaking you and dealing with you and letting you have your share of failures doing it your way, more and more we come to a place of singing a song I used to love. We sang in in the church. I want what you want for me. Think about that. I want what you want. And so 
We need to know what He wants. We need to be inquiring, praying, asking, God, what do you want for me? What is your will for my life? What is your plan for me? Because I know when I get yoked to you in that plan, I'm going to find rest. No more striving. You know, Pastor opened the service this morning with, I, I guess it's Mrs. Leach's favorite verse, right? Psalm 46.10 Be still and know that I am God. There's another translation, though. I don't think we have it in the computer. Do we have a New American Standard? No, I don't think so. New American Standard says, Cease from striving and know that I am God. I like that. Cease from striving. Who are we striving with? Really, we're striving with God. We're wrestling with God. We're having this tug-of-war with God, and God always wins. So just throw in the towel. Just surrender. I give up. Have your way. And rest comes. Rest for the soul. Look at the next verse. My yoke is really difficult. This thing of being a Christian is hard stuff. And boy, when you become a believer, you get so burdened down. It's terrible being a Christian. That's what the devil tries to feed us. It's a lie. Here's the truth. His yoke is easy. He's doing all the pulling. He's doing all the directing. He's making all the decisions. He's got all the plans. All we have to do is go along with him. And his burden is not like the burden we brought when we came to him. Remember, we came with a heavy burden. And now that we're yoked to him, the burden is light. Serving the Lord is not hard. Oh, it involves sacrifice. It involves surrender. It may involve suffering, but it's not hard. Living in this world without Christ is hard. Getting up in the morning and you know you had no peace all night, that's hard. Having heavy burdens that you just feel are about to crush you, that's hard. His yoke, easy. His burden, light. Over and over in the scriptures, Jesus sends out this call. Come to me. Come to me. I have what you need. I have living water. I have refreshment for your soul. I have rest for you. Look at just one more in John chapter 6. John 6, starting at verse 37. All that the Father gives me will what? Huh. Come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. How different we are from Jesus. We have all kinds of little standards and filters and rules in our own minds of the people we accept and the people we reject. Is it true or not? He doesn't have any such thing. He says only one qualification has to be met. What is it? Come to me. Anyone who comes to me I will never cast out. I will never reject. I will never drive away. 
You know, I saw a beautiful video some years ago. David Slintz actually sent it to me. I don't know if I can still find it somewhere, but it was titled something like No Jacket Required. I don't know if you ever saw it. But, you know, when you go to a fancy restaurant, it says Jacket Required. Well, I don't usually like to wear a jacket. (laughs) So I get to the restaurant, and I'm hungry, and I see that sign, and I'm like, oh, I can't eat. They've rejected me because I'm not dressed the way they want me to be dressed. And you know what? A lot of people have that idea about Christ and about God and about the kingdom of God. Oh, I've got to be all spiffed up before Jesus will receive me. Wrong, wrong, wrong. He says, come just as you are. I will never drive you away. Let's follow a little further. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. All this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me, there it is again, come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. Did you notice how many times in there, I didn't count them, it's at least three, maybe four times, Jesus said, I came down from heaven. Now, I think we understand that God is everywhere. Is that not so? I mean, he can't leave one place and not still be there. So what does Jesus mean when he's saying, I came down from heaven? Well, let me help you a little bit. Two of my favorite portions of Scripture in the whole Bible are the last two chapters. I read them often just to remind myself of where I'm going. You ever gone on a trip? And if you were following a map, I mean, I I still don't like GPS. Some of you, I'm sure, are addicted to the thing. But I I just like having a map. I want to see beginning and end. I want to know where I'm going. And depending on the length of the journey, I like to look on there once in a while to see where I am and where the destination is. And in this spiritual journey, sometimes we can kind of get lost in the fog like it was outside this morning. And we don't know where we are. We don't quite know where we're going. And we need to look back at the road map and say, oh, that's where I started. That's where I am. And that's where I'm going. Revelation 21 and 22 is where we're going. It talks about the kingdom of God. It talks about the new Jerusalem. It talks about a place where there is no crying, no tears, no pain, no sorrow, no darkness, no curse, and no death. Anybody want to go there with me? Or do you like pain, tears, sorrow, mourning, curse, 
darkness, and finally, to end it all, death. I hate every one of those things. And so do you. Here's the amazing thing about the gospel. You and I are doing everything in our power to go to a place where there's no pain, no sorrow, no tears, no darkness, and no death. Jesus inhabited that place from before eternity. He was there. No pain, no sorrow, no death, no sickness, no curse. And he left it. You know, you hear people who have had these death experiences where they died, clinically dead, and their spirit left their body. And they they actually felt themselves floating up to this glorious place of joy and light, and not a single one of them wanted to come back. Can you imagine if after all of our pains and tears and sorrows down here, we finally get up into heaven, and after we've been there a few thousand years, the Lord says, Pastor Quasey, I have a mission for you. Would you go back down to earth and suffer some more pain in your back? Have some more tears, some more heartbreaks, some more disappointments, some more discouragements in your life. Not I. Not I. But that's the greatness of our God. That's the greatness of the love of Jesus. He came down from all of that so that he could say to you and me, come to me with your burdens. Come to me with your weariness. Come to me with your brokenness and I will give you rest. I will give you healing. I will give you what you lack. The Bible says that Jesus, having been there in the fullness of God's glory from before eternity, he emptied himself, willingly, he emptied himself of that divine glory and came down here to become one of us. That's what Christmas was all about. If you got lost in all the Santa Clauses and Christmas cookies, that's what it was really about. He became flesh and dwelt among us. He emptied himself so that he could die on the cross. He came down, came down, came down so that you and I can go up one day. Finally, John chapter 7, verse 37. You know, in Israel, if you were a Jew, they had regular feasts throughout the year. These were very important events in the life of a Jew. And one of the greatest of all the feasts was the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's actually the feast that is referred to here. And it was a seven-day-long feast. And then on the eighth day, they had the final day of the feast. This was like, you know, the the send-off And a lot of the people that had traveled all the way to Jerusalem for the feast, they would now be making their way back home. So on the last and greatest day of that feast, it's almost like Jesus was waiting for the very end of the feast to say what he had to say. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice. Now you have to understand, all they've been doing for seven plus days is eat and drink and feast and celebrate. I mean, this was a party that they had. What a strange thing for him to say. 
if anyone is thirsty. And I would add in parentheses, still thirsty. If after you've eaten and drunk all that the world can offer you, if you're still thirsty, I got your attention. Do what? Come to me. You know what I have found? People who are full, self-sufficient, they got it all worked out, my way or the highway, they're not going to come to Jesus yet. There's some more work that needs to be done. And oh, God knows how to work. Do I have any amens? Oh, he knows how to bring you down off that high horse. He knows how to bring you down on your face from that place where you say, Oh, I can do it. I can make it in my own strength. I'm smart. I'm talented. I'm good looking. I can sing. I can do this, that, and the other. Oh, Lord, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever. Any whoever's here? I saw three fingers go up. I'm a whoever. Any other whoever's here? Thank you. Whoever believes in me. That's the only qualification. As the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. When does that happen? When we come to him. How do we come to him? Believing. We just come to him in faith. And he says, you're not going to be thirsty anymore. And you're not going to need to go looking for a stream or a fountain or water anywhere. Because you're going to have it inside of you. The stream will be in you. Streams of living water will flow from within him. You know, I am so thankful for that. Because I get thirsty spiritually all the time. And the tendency is, oh, I got to run here or I got to run here. And I'm not against going to church or going to conferences or anything, but you have the river in you. You can start drinking in your car on the way to work in the morning. Just start praising God and come to Jesus in faith. And the Holy Spirit starts to pour through you rivers of living water. Next verse. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. If you have not yet received and been filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you, come to our meetings in the evening. Pray for the Holy Spirit to fill your life. Pray for this experience. This is not a special experience for a special few. Jesus said, anyone who believes, this is for you. To receive the Holy Spirit. Rivers of living water. If you're weary, if you're tired, if you're thirsty, if you're burdened, come to Jesus. Let's stand today. Now, 38 years ago, I was standing on a bridge in San Jose, California, ready to jump and commit suicide. I was hopeless. And thank God, that very night, I came to Jesus. I did. I came to Jesus, and it changed my life. But you know what? Today, I need to come to Jesus. 
And tomorrow, I will need to come to Jesus. Because there is no other source of life. It's not just religious knowledge. I've accumulated quite a bit of religious knowledge now in 38 years of ministry and trying to walk with the Lord. But that knowledge is not a substitute for an encounter with Jesus. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I want us to pray this morning as we dismiss that in these coming days, more and more of us would come to Jesus, really experience him. Because when you taste and see that the Lord is good, man, there's nothing else out there. There's just nothing else of any interest in this world. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you're not interested in the rich and the full and the satisfied and the content. You're calling out to the weary, to the burdened, to the restless, to the sick, to those that are in need and they're aware of it. Lord, help us to lay aside our plans and our stuff and to come to Jesus. Help us to lay aside all of our strategies and take your yoke upon our neck. Lord, we want what you want for us. We've heard it so much that it can start to be a cliche, but we need to surrender. We need to give up our plans, our ways, our wishes, our desires, and truly to let you have your way in our lives. Lord, you have plans for each and every one of us. Grand and glorious plans, which we will only discover through surrender, through faith, through coming to you. Lord, we take that yoke upon us this morning, the yoke of your will, and we ask for you to take control of our lives, to lead us, to guide us, And Lord, if we have been fighting with you, if we have been struggling with you, we surrender. You know, when a prisoner of war is captured, what do they usually make him do? Or hopefully you've never been arrested. But what do they tell you to do? Hands up. Right? I mean, you can put your hands up and still in your heart saying, you may lock me up, but I didn't do nothing. But I'm asking you this morning, if if you're sincere in your heart, raise your hands to the Lord and just say, I give up. I surrender. I've made a mess of things. I don't even know where I am. Pastor talked about a map. I don't know where I began. I don't know where it ends. I don't even know where I am. But I give my life to you. And I surrender to you now. Be my shepherd. Lord, I've been without a shepherd. I've been like a lost sheep, falling off cliffs and bumping into rocks and falling over and I can't even get up. Help me, Lord. Be my shepherd from this day on. And I will praise you and give you thanks and glory for being my Savior, being my Lord. Now, God, keep each one of us as we part from this place. Give us grace and strength as we continue to seek your face in these days to come. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you all.